Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're in an ongoing study in the book of 1 Corinthians called The Cruciform Way. And we're walking alongside Paul, who is calling the Corinthians and every follower of Jesus between them and us to so shape our lives after the cross of Jesus that when the world around us looks at us, they see something more than us. But they see the the shape of sacrifice. They see that we have been crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within us. So today's scripture will be from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and also a little bit from chapter 10. So follow along with me. Paul says, Though I am free and, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to, to win as many as possible to the Jews. I became like a, like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I, I, came, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like those not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. But so, so as to win those not having the law. See? To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we, we, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and, and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be found disqualified for the, for the prize. And then from chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to, to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. This is the reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted. Will you pray with me now? Mm -hmm. 
Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire. And fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, Laura, my wife, taught me a phrase that I'm sure if I begin it, you will be able to finish it. We were on vacation on some beach somewhere with our toes in the sand. We're watching the ocean, just having a great time. And, and this guy walks by in front of us. And he was a, he was a big man. And when, when I say big man, I want to be very, really kind in this place. But he's like a large man. I'm, I'm trying to be very pastoral when I say that God had made him robustly. Right? Okay, He could block the sun, and he was standing in front of us, and as he walked by, that was not what caught our attention. What caught our attention was that he was wearing the smallest, tiny, little Speedo bathing suit, and the beach hushed. The tide stopped. Laura leans over to me and she takes her sunglasses and puts them down on the edge of her nose as if to get my real attention. And she says to me, and I bet you can finish it, she says, just because you can doesn't mean you should. There it is. That is a gospel message in a nutshell. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Last week I was at the grocery store. Laura said, well, on your way home, would you mind stopping and getting this thing for him. It's like a spice. And, and I said, oh, no problem, babe. You got it. Well, the problem with sending me to the grocery store is that Laura knows where everything at Publix is located. I mean, she knows every single spice on every shelf and what aisle. I mean, people ask her when she's shopping at Publix where to find the things. I'm talking about employees will ask her. But when I go to look for the thing that she sends me for, I am there for what feels like four days. I mean, I know where the door is. That's about the extent of what I know. And I get there, and I, I finally find the thing. And, you know, next time if Laura asks me to go, I will say, sure, babe, no problem. You know what I could do? I mean, it's a free country. I'm a free man. I could say to her, woman, you go get your spices yourself, right? I mean, it's a free country, right? I, I'm a free man. And if I wanted to be free from eating that night, I would be free to sleeping on the couch. See, I could do that, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. I was walking out of the Publix that very day, and as I'm walking out, this woman is walking in, and I promise you I'm not exaggerating. This isn't even pastoral hyperbole when I say to you, she was wearing an outfit of... Um, spandex from top to bottom, head to toe, a multicolored tie-dyed outfit of nothing but spandex. I'm talking not a stitch of any other clothing other than the spandex. She was either coming from some class or some show or something. And I felt like leaning over to her and saying, my sister, listen, 
My wife says, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now listen, those are some silly examples that, that I share with you to kind of set up what is a not so silly matter for us to consider here in the midst of worship. Because <laughs> at the heart of that little wisdom saying, that little contemporary proverb, just because you can doesn't mean you should, it, at the heart of it is a message about the nature of freedom. I mean, I, it's a free country. I'm a free man. I can wear a Speedo if I want to, right? But what is freedom, really? Does, does, does freedom simply mean that I get to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, wherever I want to do it? I mean, is that what it's about? My, about my individual rights with no constraints and no restrictions and no boundaries whatsoever? Is that it? Or, or is there something more? See, last week on Memorial Day, Monday, we celebrated a reality that there have been those in this country who have given the last full measure of sacrifice and devotion to preserve something that was bigger than themselves. Today is the 77th anniversary of the D-Day invasion of Normandy. And, And again, today, as on other days throughout the year, we remember those who were willing to give the very last bit of themselves to preserve something that they considered to be a sacred trust. That freedom is not worth dying for if it's simply about my own individual rights, but there was one martyr after the next who was willing to die in order to demonstrate there is something about freedom that is a sacred trust between us. Now think about all those who are willing to die in order to preserve something that had to do with you and me and not just them. You know, part of what I struggle with these days is that you and I, if I were to stop any of you on the streets or in the, in the hallways of this church and I'd say, what is the number one value we cherish in America? You'd say freedom. I'm sure you would. And we're in a very divided country right now, but no matter what side you are on any kind of issue, both sides are under the impression that their highest value is freedom. And yet, on both sides and everywhere in between, there is right now among us emerging a kind of diminished, warped, distorted understanding of what it means to actually live free. We have become such a self-focused, self-centered, self-absorbed culture that the definition we run around with when it comes to freedom is simply whatever it's going to take to make sure I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it and wherever with no restrictions and no constraints whatsoever. And the trouble is when freedom is interpreted like that, it's my rights over everybody else, then the society in which we live is at risk of unraveling from inside Come on. Now, do you you know the name uh, Alexis uh, uh, de Tocqueville? He's a famous French, um, you know, uh, emissary, ambassador to the U.S., a political analyst, a philosopher. He wrote a famous book in 1835 called Democracy in America. Listen to what he, he said about this. He said, if individual rights are elevated... 
It will mean the unwinding of our democracy and the rise of despotism, resulting in the fraying of our democratic fabric. What is he saying? He's saying if we get to a place where in our consciousness as a people, we are elevating our own individual freedoms and rights and privileges and, 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 and desires above the desires and the needs of the whole. If we elevate individual freedom with no constraints at the risk of the common good, then the, the group, the society, the community, the church, the country is doomed. And this is exactly what Paul was facing in the church of Corinth. And he's writing to him because he understands in Corinth, they understand what it means to be free, but there is a kind of a, a distorted, misshapen understanding of what freedom is because they, in Corinth, were elevating the individual rights and freedoms above the group, above all of the society around them. And Paul says, you can't do that. Now, the culture around you may define freedom that way. They may define your rights that way. But you are in Christ. And everything that you do in this journey is to be shaped after the cross of Jesus. And so he does for them in chapters nine, uh, 8, 9, and 10 what he's been doing all along. He says every cue that you take for ordering your life has to come from the cross of Jesus. That every Christian should be a cross-centered, cross-focused, cross-shaped person. And that there is a way to define your freedom, your individual rights and freedoms. There is a way to define it in such a way that it is shaped by the cross of Jesus. It is a cruciform freedom. So I want to say just a word for just a moment more to you about what that might look like in our lives. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the gift of the sermon in one sentence. And like I told you last week, after you get this sentence, you can't get up and leave. you got to let me unpack it. Here's the sermon in a sentence. The cross exposes the difference between false freedom and true freedom. Because there is a way to pursue a freedom that looks so enticing. I get to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, wherever and however I want to do it. There is a freedom that looks as if you can live with no constraints, and no boundaries, no barriers. But in the end, it's an empty freedom because it leads to death. But there is a true freedom. And that's what I want to talk about for just a moment. Because... Truly, freedom is not the absence of constraints or the practice of exercise of personal rights. True, cross-shaped, cruciform freedom instead is a willingness to relinquish those rights for the sake of love. Can I just let that hang in the air for a moment? I just want to repeat that. True freedom is not simply the absence of constraints, no boundaries, the ability to do whatever I want. True cruciform freedom, cross-shaped freedom, is the kind of freedom that has the willingness to lay down those rights for the sake of love. Another way to put it, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So first, a word about false freedom. So Paul is addressing these Corinthians, and he knows that they know that they are free. The city of Corinth had a reputation of being free. It's a Roman city, and so they celebrated their freedom. They, 
They boasted about their freedom. But not only that, the Christians who were living in Corinth, they knew they were free in even more profound ways. Not just freedom that comes through Pax Romana, the peace of Christ, the peace of uh, Rome, but they were free from sin and death and guilt and shame because of the cross. They knew what Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. They knew the truth that would later be proclaimed in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of your slavery. They knew they were free, but here's the trouble with freedom. If you have a warped understanding of freedom or a self-focused understanding of freedom, then you're going you're gonna to quote what the Corinthians used to quote. There was a favorite saying that went around Corinth, and it began to seep into the church, this phrase, this statement, and it sounded like this. I have the right to do anything. I mean, it truly was a popular uh, phrase. It was inscribed in places. It was repeated. I have the right to do anything. And the Christians were starting to use that phrase as if freedom means there's no constraints on you. That to be free means to have no boundaries and no rules, no authority over you. The trouble is that's a false freedom. It's an empty freedom. And you know why? Because every freedom has some kind of constraint. Every freedom has some kind of constraint. Freedom isn't the absence of constraints. It's the submission to the right kind of, of, of constraints. Can I unpack that one a little bit? To be free is not the absence of constraints. It is the willingness to yield to the appropriate constraints that actually give you freedom. A couple examples. Why do you wear a seatbelt? I mean, it can't be because it's just something you enjoy to do unless you're like in one of those cars like you get in and it kind of automatically hugs you as if to say, welcome back, you know. Now that's kind of nice, you know. But you don't wear a seatbelt because you wear a seatbelt because you willingly yield to the constraint of one freedom in order to avoid a tragedy, in order to actually exercise the freedom of not flying through the window. You say yes to one you say yes to one constraint of your freedom in order to celebrate one greater freedom that lives beyond, right? Another example, athletes, famous athletes. You think of your own favorite pro player, NFL or basketball or boxing or something. You don't become, or maybe an Olympic athlete. You don't simply wake up and become an Olympic athlete or an NBA player overnight, but you... You yield yourself, you constrain yourself to a lifestyle that means getting up early, eating boring foods all day long, exercising rigid, difficult exercise programs and training programs. You are constraining yourself, not simply because you don't want to have fun, but you're saying yes to one limitation in order to experience the greater freedom of winning on the field. Now, I suppose that any athlete has the right to sit around in their chair at night dipping double-stuffed Oreos into whole milk until they just slip into a stupor like your pastor sometimes does. They could exercise that freedom, but they cannot simultaneously exercise that freedom to do whatever they want to do with no constraints and at the same time be given the championship ring or the trophy, right? Or, or marriage. Marriage. You know, nobody discovers a great marriage. Great marriages are built over long periods of struggle and work. I love what I heard one day. 
When you stand at an altar and say, I do to somebody, you are simultaneously saying, I don't to everybody else. Isn't that good? You are, you are deliberately putting a constraint. Could I go out and talk to these folks? Yeah. Could I go out and check out my options? Mm-hmm. Could I go and, and go kind of window shopping as long as I don't purchase? Mm-hmm. You could. But if you exercise that freedom, you can't simultaneously exercise the freedom of a loving, growing, vibrant, fruitful marriage that lasts a lifetime. We say yes to one constraint in order to celebrate the true freedom that Christ has for us. You go on an airplane, and the pilot turns off the light that says, you know, seatbelts, and, and, and says, the attendant will say, the pilot has turned off the no seatbelt sign, so you are free to walk about the cabin. But there's still some limitations. You're free to walk about the cabin, but you're not free to open the big door on the side of it. Right? You're not free to storm the cabin like someone learned this week. Did you see what happened from LAX to Nashville? A guy tried to storm the, the cockpit, and the flight attendant said, I'm not having it. The other, the other passengers jumped on him, tackled him, zip-tied him up, and escorted him to the back as if to say, yes, you have the freedom, but not that freedom this day. Mm -mm. I just love it when things like that happen, by the way. When somebody says, oh, I'm sorry, not this flight. The truth is we all live within freedom, but the, the freedom that is true freedom is a freedom that has limitations so that you can live freely within them. Now, one last example. Students going to college this fall. You are free to skip school. You are free to not go to class. You are free to stay up all night long playing games and going out until the wee hours of the morning. You are free to not turn in anything that is due to your professors. You are free to do that. But you cannot simultaneously, somebody's going to have to back me up on this one, you cannot simultaneously exercise the freedom of that and the freedom of getting an education where you succeed at the school where you're going to. See, you, you accept the constraint of the discipline of study and time, and discipline in order, well, to celebrate the greater freedom of avoiding the wrath of your mother and father who are paying for the college, all right? Do you, so you're picking up what I'm putting down now. I'm saying you have to say yes to some. Otherwise, it's not a true freedom. It's a false, empty freedom. And I suppose what I'm talking about is the difference between freedom from and freedom for. False freedom stops at simply freedom from. I'm free from your say over my life. I'm a free person. You, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to submit to any authorities. It's a free country. I'm free from, free from, free from. But true, cruciform freedom is a freedom that celebrates what you are free for. You are free for a life that was designed by God for you at the dawn of creation. Do you know that the very first story that we have in our, in our Bible, the second creation story in Genesis chapter 2, God puts the man in the middle of the garden and says, look, here's a garden. And there are some boundaries here. You can't eat at that one tree, but you can eat of everything else. But notice in the first mandate, there is still boundary. This is the way it reads in chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. Just listen to the first three words. 
You are free, humankind. You are free, people. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You got a whole lot of freedom, but not from this tree because on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, right? You will certainly die. This is how we're made. It's how we're designed, and Paul knew it. So Paul is attempting to tell the Corinthians and anybody else who will listen that true freedom requires submitting to certain constraints, not because you hate yourself, not because you're not a freedom lover, but because you recognize there's something higher, a freedom that comes from Christ that is worth yielding your rights for the sake of another. So here he is in Corinth, and the best example is that there's a controversy that comes to Corinth. The controversy is you have some Jewish Christians who are there and some non-Jewish Christians in the same church, going to the same church. And and the, the Jewish Christians come from a long, rich history where we have our Old Testament, all these laws and codes, and now they're in Christ, and they're just coming to grips with their freedom in Christ, but there's still some wisdom to this old way, so they're slow to let go of all the things and be truly free. And the Gentile Christians were like, no, this is a great, this is a great thing. We're free in so many ways. And so there is a tradition going on. There are all these other temples in Corinth. And all these temples to other gods, well, they're sacrificing these animals. And after you sacrifice an animal, you have this carcass that after it's cleaned up can be sold at the market for meat. And what a lot of crafty shoppers knew is that if you got the meat that was sacrificed at these other temples, it was marked down and you can get it cheaper at the market. And the church at Corinth was filled with some poor people and they're looking to simply catch a break. And the Gentile Christians were like, why don't we just... Purchase this meat and eat this meat. And the Hebrew Christians were like, we can't do that. Not only is it a wrong kind of meat, I mean, we don't eat bacon, but on top of the other, they sacrifice these other gods. If you eat this meat, it's going to look as if you worship these other gods and not Jesus. Jesus is the only one we worship. And the Gentile Christians were like, but, but we, know those are, we know those gods aren't real, right? I mean, you know that, right? You know that they're not real. Uh, it doesn't matter. They're sacrificing to other idols. And so, and Paul steps in and says, hang on, hang on. I'll be right with you. And he pulls the Gentiles aside. He said, I know. I know. They're not real. The gods aren't real. And the meat is cheaper. And it's delicious when it's served with a side of eggs. It's great. But the truth is, there are some for whom if they see you eating it, it's going to cause them a hard time to grow in Christ, to go from where they are to where they need to be in Christ. And so it's going to make them stumble. And so if you're eating meat in their company, well, stop eating it. Not because you don't have the right to. You do have the right to. But guess what else you have the right to? You have the right to love them like Christ demonstrated you ought to love them. So you sacrifice what you have a right to do for the sake of love. And not only that, he says, P.S., there are others who are not just Hebrew Christians, but those who are non-believers at all. They have no faith in Jesus Christ, and they're watching you eat this meat. And if they're watching you eat this meat that was sacrificed to the idol, well, then they're going to think, well, don't they worship Jesus? And yet they're eating the meat sacrificed to this idol. So, oh, to be a Christian means you can just worship anybody at all. And Paul says, no, there's more at stake here than that. If you are in the company of those who don't understand your freedom and don't understand that there's not a problem between you and God about eating this kind of, of steak, well, then don't eat it and wait until you're alone. And wait until the eating of it 
causes no stumbling block for somebody else's faith. Why? Is it because you don't have the right to eat? No, but because the cross of Christ compels you to stop making it about you. There is nothing more important than bringing others into faith in Christ. And if something that you're doing, he would say, is causing another to stumble on their way to deeper faith in Christ, well then knock it off. And Paul didn't just tell them to do it. You know what Paul did? Paul demonstrated it himself. In chapter seven, he gave up his right to be married just in case it caused a stumbling block for the progression of the gospel. In chapter eight, he gave up a salary for proclaiming and preaching and doing mission. He gave up being paid just in case in the eyes of some, it hindered them from actually coming to faith. For Christ or for Paul, there was nothing more important than Christ. So in the chapter that we read just a little while ago, he said, look, I'm I'm free. This is what he said in verse 19. He said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That means when I'm with Jews, I act like a Jew. When I'm with people who are kind of still caught up in the law, well, I, I act like I'm caught up in the law. When I'm with people who haven't heard of anything, have never been to church, I act like I've never been to church so that by being all things to all people, I might win some. For Paul, nothing was more important than the cross. See, cruciform freedom is a freedom that is willing to relinquish one's own private, personal rights and privileges and freedoms for the sake of love. This is why Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians in chapter two, he had these powerful words to say, chapter two, verse three and four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, at first hearing, you're gonna hear that and somebody might say, how in the world are you gonna have somebody think of other people as more important than themselves? You're making people doormats. You're making people let others run all over them. No, but Paul is speaking to the church and he is saying, if you consider the needs of her as more important than your own and she considers the needs of you as more important than her own, there's a mutuality of love here that looks well, a lot like a cross. See, what I'm calling us to is only the thing that Paul called us to, empty out our rights for the sake of love. And when we do that, there are big moments when you can put that on display. I mean, but I'm not even talking about the big moments. I'm not calling us to cruciform love in these big dramatic moments, like the moment you stand at an altar and you say, I do to you, and I say, I don't to everybody else. I'm not talking about the big moments only, like storming the beaches of some place because you recognize that there's something bigger than yourself at stake here. I'm talking about the 10,000 micro expressions of cruciform love that you can exercise every single day. Micro expressions of cruciform love in which at any given turn, it's, it's rush hour and the guy who's been riding your bumper pulls in front of you and, and you want to just speed up and keep him out of the line of traffic and you want to tell him that he's like number one and you want to do the things that are naturally you want to do but cruciform love says, you know what? I'm going to yield my need for the sake of some story that I don't even understand. What's he coming from and what's he going to? What's he carrying around? And will my yieldedness change anything in him? No, but 10,000 expressions of that kind of yieldedness in you will change something in you. 
And you will become so cross-shaped that you don't know what to do with yourself. Then you find yourself going to the laundry room and, and the one person who does the laundry in your house more than anybody else, and you know, you're the one who opens up the thing, and you're like, I just need a pair of socks. I'm just gonna get my pair of socks and leave the rest of the dry clothes in there. You know? Or all I need is really a t-shirt. Let's see, is that mine? Yep, that's mine. Instead, cruciform expressions, micro expressions of cruciform love I mean, you know what? I could keep on walking by. I have the freedom. I could just walk on by and leave that for this other person who does all the laundry. However, right now, I'll yield, I'll constrain myself as a micro expression of cruciform love that their needs are more important than mine. So I'm gonna fold these clothes. And there is, maybe in your family, and maybe in your, your office, your workplace, or your friend network, a conflict that you can't seem to resolve. And maybe it's because you know you're right. And let's just give you the benefit of the doubt, maybe you're right. And you know that they think they're right. And nothing's gonna move until somebody takes the shape of a cross and says, you know what, for a higher purpose, For the sake of a freedom that we can mutually enjoy, I will yield, I will constrain myself, I will empty out my rights for the sake of love. There's an old hymn that we don't sing much in Baptist churches anymore, but it's in the Baptist hymnal, actually. Um, Yeah, there it is. It's called In Christ Our Liberty. And I, I want you to listen to these words and see if they're not a call to us for the kind of cross-shaped life that we're called to live. We bind ourselves in freedom's chains. Can you listen to the irony? We bind ourselves in freedom's chains. I didn't think freedom had chains. Well, they do, so that you can experience true freedom and not false, empty freedom. We bind ourselves in freedom's chains. The cross has set us free. God's anvil forged each link with love in Christ our liberty. Though creeds and laws imposed by power may mock equality, our trust in Christ and Christ alone will keep our spirits free. We have no need of of priest or, or king to intercede for souls, to live for Christ, our covenant, to die to self, our goal. His call to us is servanthood, not false humility, Until we die to the love of self, we are not truly free. Now, free in Christ, it's time to stand. It's time to stand and cry that freedom will not live beyond our willingness to die. The question is, are we willing to die? to die to our egos, to die to our rights and our freedoms for the sake of love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ in every conceivable way. This is Paul who prayed for a daily death. Lord, every day show me something to crucify in me so that I can say with truthfulness, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live according to the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. So the question is, are you willing to die?
To follow into true freedom means a total yieldedness of heart, soul, and mind. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never prayed in such a way as to totally relinquish your freedoms and your rights for the sake of the love of Christ. But just because you haven't doesn't mean you can't. Maybe right now you need to pray in your own heart words like this. Lord, I come to the end of myself. I have tried to manage my life and fix my brokenness and mend my relationships all on my own. But I've come to the end of myself. I find that I am actually more incarcerated in my heart than I am free. But I suspect that kneeling at your cross, your spirit can do something in me that I can't do on my own. I suspect, Lord, that if I confess my sins before you and I admit to you that I am not enough, but you are, then you, you can save me from myself. And that's what I pray right now. I, I do pray for wholeness and unity and I do pray for relationships to be made well, but I recognize right now that it, it doesn't begin with them. It begins with me yielding to you. So I receive you now in the name of Christ to truly, once and for all, make me free. Make me free. My friends, if you prayed a prayer like that, or if that is the desire of your heart, then we want to walk alongside you. You need to tell somebody about that. Don't keep that a secret. Because now you need the strength of a sister or a brother walking alongside you to take your new and next step into that freedom that is true freedom. So if you're in the sanctuary or you're in the Family Life Center, in the front of the sanctuary here, Pastor David is walking in the front or the side of the Family Life Center. We have a pastor waiting for you. And at the conclusion of our benediction, you're welcome to come forward and tell them your story. And if you don't know how to begin the story, they'll start it for you. We simply want to pray with you. And if you're at home and you're watching from a distance, we also want to come alongside you. So we want you to email us at connect at jcbc.org because when you do that, we're able to reach back out to you and continue this ongoing conversation of transformation. Now, wherever it is that you are in the spiritual journey, now is the time for those who have gathered here to stand as you're able to your feet as we prepare to depart into this world that God so loves. So in here and in the Family Life Center, as you stand to your feet, now is the time that we scatter into the world on purpose to demonstrate by the way we live that we actually believe the things that we affirm in this place. So wherever it is that you go, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you in the days that you feel like retreating to encourage you one step forward at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you. On the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you 
transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in the grace and peace of Christ.